The RC podcast is brought to you by Cook Lens, makers of the 5i, S4 and Pancros, all handcrafted to give you the famous Cook look, but with the latest innovations and technology such as lens eye data. For more information, go to cookoptics.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. You're listening to FX Guide, and this is The RC Podcast, episode number 95 with uh, Mike Seymour, and joined here in the studio at the Tech Bunker, in Jason Wingrove. I'm in the building. How are you? Good. It's really good to see you again, man. It's uh, been absolutely. a couple it's of weeks. It's good to see anybody other than my crew. It's been just nuts. I've been... Basically, haven't stopped, which is good. I shouldn't complain, but uh, there you go. I am anyway. I remember seeing the Stones live in Sydney and Keith Richards walking up on stage and going, Hello, Sydney. It's really great to be anywhere. <laughs> alive. Still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so since I saw you, I've been in Vancouver. Um, since you saw me, where have you been? Uh, around Australia. Uh, Tasmania, Western Australia, Queensland, Victoria. Yeah. All round. Just on holidays, were we? Yeah, it's nice holidays. Yeah, just me and five, five friends and five, five cases, agency, five friends. cases of gear, gear and <laughs> and no family. No, no, it's been terrific. Um, uh, were yeah, you allowed? To, how's it been going? What have you been filming on? Five uh, D, I guess. It's just you know, for what we're doing, quick turnaround again, just travel, you know, really mobile, chasing people down the street, man in the street kind of stuff. Um, it's it's been perfect for that kind of thing, you know. Really, just kind of run and gun, um, you know. Excuse me, sir. You know, you don't really want to be doing that with five. You don't want to be literally. We're probably in every city for about twenty hours, or just just an overnight. Fly in, shoot during the day, sleep, and then fly out the next morning. So you know, it's not really the kind of gig you want to be doing with five cases of Alexa gear, or you know. And really, with a short turnaround, I don't really want to be doing doing it with 900 terabytes of, of, of R3Ds either. So, to be honest, this is for this gig. That's the horse for this course, anyway. Well, I... don't want to make any excuses. No, no, it's fine. It's not like they're visual effects commercials or anything. No, exactly. No, exactly. It looks great. Everyone's happy, so hey. Well, you look a bit exhausted, but I'm I'm feeling just on top of the world and uh, well rested and happy. I've got a great shoot uh, happening actually tonight, but I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Excellent. Um, so we've got a huge amount of news. Uh, so let's cross to the news desk. And now the RC news. I say cross the news desk. I've actually just moved to the other end of the table. Really, <laughs> it's more of a news bench. Yeah, I, I, I consider it to be more of a guideline. <laughs> So, plenty of news. Obviously, it's been a little while since we've uh, got our last app out. It's uh, a little bit of red news, but uh, news from all over the place, really. Uh, a lot of it. Uh, some of it is uh, Sony, so let's kick off with a little bit of Sony. Um, this is slightly, not not entirely super fresh news, but fresh, fresh, fresh for this app is um, the Sony A77, uh, which is a DSLR. I'm just kicking off with DSLR stuff. Um, what's interesting, I guess... Have you had much chance to get across this one, Mike? I mean, this is a very interesting... Um, obviously, it's another option to, to Canon. Uh, but what's interesting, I guess, about it is that I think it's probably flagging changes or bringing in a few design ideas that probably will be ushered into, I don't know, say, 
5D Mark III or whatever. I can, I can potentially see more DSLRs coming up with these kind of um, uh, features, particularly for this one. I mean, the first thing why it's worth mentioning, I guess, is that uh, it ha- it'll do um, 1080p right up to 50, or if you've got the NTSC model, uh, Sony, please stop doing that, uh, 60p. Uh, why can't if you do 60p, just give PAL and NTSC people the same options, really? You know. So well, anyway, the frame sizes are slightly different. It is, it is. Yes, that's it. It'll do. Um, so yeah, sure. It doesn't matter. Just whatever. If the camera, if the body, or is capable of doing it, just do it. You know, they're about to switch that on with the FS100, uh, which we've mentioned okay, before. I'm just sorry. I'm going to pull you up there. You you you're confusing me. When you say PAL and NTSC. If it's outputting 1920... Pal and NTSC countries. Right, okay, because that because PAL and NTSC are different frame sizes. Sure. No, HD I mean, Pal and NTSC 1920 countries. 50 or 60 hertz countries, okay. right? Because so saying Pal reason, and NTSC is the sort of thing that gets me in trouble with people that point out that I'm being imprecise. Sure, okay. No, it's me. It's, if, if you're pointing it out to Mike, it's me. Uh, generally, if we're wrong, it'll be... it'll The wrong will originate on this side of the table. Uh, it's uh, no for PAL or NTSC countries, so 50 or 60 hertz countries. For some reason, if the camera is capable of 60p, only people uh, in sort of Europe and uh, PAL countries will get the 50p uh, um, uh, option. Um, so, uh, and as I say, with the FS100, they're now going to swap that and they're going to give you the option with firmware to up that so that everybody gets 60p. I think they're kind of getting that, but this does not seem to uh, show that they're quite getting the idea that if a camera can do 60 give people, give everybody in the world 60. You know, let's break down these sort of rather kind of silly barriers. Anyway, I digress. I've got to say, I'm really surprised you led with this as the lead item. I've got It's m- not lead item, more it's the first one things, on the page. But <laughs> I think there's vastly more interesting things to talk about. But as you've gone there, I'll happily follow you, though I'm really looking forward to discussing the other, I think, much bigger news items. Yep. But um, well, I think I just, the Mark III is going to come out. Can I just touch on what I, the other thing that's interesting with this is it doesn't actually have a, a traditional shutterbox system it has a translucent mirror so for video mode it actually i guess they compensate for it somehow in iso i'm not quite sure but basically it has a translucent mirror rather than a uh, mirror that flips out of the way for live view what this does mean is that it has a electronic evf so it's one of the first sort of larger more pro uh, dslrs that has a um, has an evf instead a 1024 by 768 uh, instead of an optical viewfinder, basically. So no more external EVFs, no more plugging in HDMI, and then you lose your, the LCD on the back. I'm presume, we're hoping that it's going to be able to do both. Hoping that it's going to be able to do both. But we're obviously very keen to get our hands on one of these. Um, but uh, an articulated LCD screen, all that kind of stuff that some of the newer cameras have. But I just, I, I, I bring it up because I think it's, it's. Um, it's, I guess it's flagging that shift that some of the DSLRs are going to move away from optical viewfinders and be a bit more and let let the video mode uh, tail wag the dog, I guess. So anyway, that's Sony a77, and it's about $1,400, $1,500 for body only. So, you know, it's quite cheap too. APS-C, uh, they, will, they are sticking with um, um, uh, AVC-HD. ABC HD two, I think. So, um, not not H two sixty four. But there you go. Still so, not. Still not. Okay. Still I'm not shutting interested. up now. Okay. Go, I, go I think the Mark three is going to come out soon. I think that um, the rumors have been building. I actually think that uh, it's been reported on on Canon rumors. So it is obviously a rumor 
that it could be as uh, good as an announcement in mid-September. Um, could Canon be. rumors have not stopped with that rumor, by the way. Basically, every day you go there. I understand that, but I actually feel like we're actually approaching an October, uh, September, October announcement. And mm-hmm. a couple of reasons I'll say that. Firstly, a lot of the stuff that um, uh, screwed up in Japan is now being has been repaired and has been fixed and is coming back online. Yeah. So we're seeing that in things nothing to do with Canon. So there's a general impression I have in the industry that delays that the earthquake slash the monocular meltdown of um, uh, atomic power plants slash tsunamis slash every other disease and, and pestilence that was thrown at the poor Japanese, yeah. that that's all getting to a point now that we're seeing the other side of it. Hence, I think that something happening with Canon around the October timeframe starts to make sense. Um, plus, I just feel like uh, the level of the, the rumours and the kind of way that it's being uh, pitched out it feels to me like the time is right and it feels to me like the uh, the sources of the rumours are a bit better than just idle speculation. Um, so I'm willing to say that I think that we'll see a uh, Canon Mark III before the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's pretty interesting. Well, that'll be cool. I mean, yeah, even people with Epics are still going to, as I say, even just talking about my jobs, you know, even if I did have a few other cameras and we had the budget to take whatever we wanted with us. Um, people, there will still be jobs where that will be a great option. I'd love to see, obviously, them knock a few of the issues of, of the 5D Mark II on the head. Um, I'm sure they will. Uh, you know, it's been such an amazingly popular camera for them. I can't see them bringing it out and not uh, um, and not sort of uh, looking at some of the, the you know the issues we've we've had with aliasing and you know maybe helping with rolling shutter and the audio and all you know all the all the issues we've had. But um, you know, even if they don't improve the sort of you know the the sort of bandwidth or whatever, then then it's still it'll still be it'll still be worthwhile. There is no there's no real concrete rumors about or details about the actual video mode or how they're going to improve it. Just the fact that there's new models coming, really. But as I say, this is this is I guess at the at the uh, infrared end of my uh, interest in the news this week. I want to go to the ultraviolet end. Okay. Which is? Other end of the spectrum, which is to say, uh, well, firstly, I think uh, huge news uh, as we go to recording this, which is that um, Steve Jobs has stepped down as the uh, head of Apple, moving to be mm. the chairman of Apple. Huge um, news. I think it's huge news. I think it's huge news for photographers. I think it's huge news for people in post and, and video. And I think it's huge news for anyone that's just generally using um, computers around the place. Not mm. that he, he's died, not that, uh, that Apple is going to suddenly stop, but we have seen... Um, a non-Steve Jobs Apple, uh, and obviously nothing will change in the short term, but in the medium term, you know, that was a, well, looking back, that was a pretty gloomy period. Mm. It'll be interesting to see moving forward if Apple slowly becomes that little bit more focused on, you know, the people that actually buy the stuff. There has been, you know... Uh, as we've seen it with stuff like you know, with FCPX and you know a, a, a fair few things, it's been like we are Apple are delivering products that uh, the way they want to deliver them and with the functions they want to deliver them to, regardless of any pushback or or feedback from from customers. It seems that less and less they are involving the customer in in. You know, in the design and the decisions that go into it. So well, will, maybe well, there'll be a little bit of a shift. But that away presumes from that. it might that, get worse. That presumes that that's been a negative. <laughs> like you could say, HP involved the clients really well in their new 
iPad-y thing until they <laughs> trashed it. <laughs> they and killed it. Killed it, you know. I'm I sure mean, they probably did. Just, sure they... just because you say you're involving clients isn't a fait accompli. You're going to make good products. Hmm, and true. here's the other thing I'd say. I'd say that um, personally, like, I have used Apple products since Apple II, so pre-Mac. Yeah, I remember when Mac came out, it was a revolution. All of my professional career, we've had a Mac. When, I've had a, when I was a flame artist, I had a Mac beside me. When we were on set, we were using Macs. QuickTime was really significant. Obviously, Apple bought Shake, and that was really significant. Uh, Final Cut was hugely significant, and it democratized stuff. But also, just how Apple worked with Photoshop. I mean, obviously, it's cross-platform, but Photoshop really took off. We were buying tons and tons of Mac stuff just to use Photoshop. Mm. The Rebel Mac unit, which, of course, was ILM's you know, venture into saying, hey, we can do visual effects without using huge uh, computers and proprietary software, which, um, you know, was a pivotal point in the industry for post-production. Just in terms of cameras, I mean, uh, Apple was really up there with the Red One when it first came out in terms yeah. of adopting the workflow and allowing um, the QuickTimes and stuff. Yep. A- Apple has had a huge role. Steve Jobs has had a huge role. And then if you go to Steve Jobs and Pixar, which, of course, is probably outside the purview of this particular podcast, but Pixar, immensely important company, uh, in the industry and, and really saved from medical imaging by jobs. Yeah, I mean, I've been cutting with Apple since, I can't remember, since before Final Cut was really around, since Media 100, basically, while I was waiting to find out what this uh, Macromedia Final Cut product was going to be, which then eventually turns into Final Cut Pro. But, uh, yeah, I've been, you know... I, I can actually count six Apple computers or Apple products in this room with the two of us right now. <laughs> not, in, not including iPhones. And no, that was including actually iPhones. <laughs> that was not including. Um, that was not including the my flying. The iPhone in my bag here, and yeah. So I, I just think that's really uh, significant, and I would, you know, say that like personally, uh, have an enormous amount of respect for uh, anyone that's done such a great job at producing designed products that show that you don't have to be cheap and nasty to win the game. Mm. In, in a world without Apple, cheap and nasty it feels like that's what would have been the winning game. And, you know, Apple products aren't the cheapest, but I just, I really actually, and maybe I'm saying this because I'm an arrogant rich prick, but I really feel like this whole focus on money at all costs um, is just wrong. I mean, it mm. seems to have been a culture from the Thatcher-Reagan eras moving forward that the best thing was the cheapest thing, full stop. And I just feel like that's uh, missing out on an entire yeah. aspect of life. It isn't a, a, a Walmart existence I crave. Yeah, it's, well, it's always for me, it's been a bit of a false economy thing, and I I, I've given the other, the dark side, a, a few good goes, and it's you know through iteration and iteration, I, I've never been able to conjure up anything more than dislike. And you know, in, in the early days, it was Apple that did so much work with Canon in accepting um, formats from uh, stills cameras, digital stills cameras. It was yeah. um, Apple that really pushed. Her. I mean, I look, you you can depend on who you speak to, but. Aperture came out before Lightroom, and some would say that Aperture caused um, Adobe to react yep, to Lightroom. This is true. Um, now, I like Lightroom a lot. In fact, I've now converted over to using it. But yep. the bottom line is that um, it's a, you know, I would hate to have this pass and not kind of acknowledge. Certainly, my career has benefited enormously from Apple. And obviously, I've been an Apple fanboy, but I, and I think I'd be a fanboy of any product that was that good. I'd buy an Apple car if they made one. I probably would too. I, I, I'm looking at a new car, and I think I can't stand to actually buy something that's uh, going to be petrol. I think I'll have to, to wait. Yes, the Apple electric car. 
Speaking of Apple fanboys, I'm staring across the room at something very shiny uh, attached to your uh, laptop mic if I can steer the uh, uh, conversation away from our run list to uh, what you're you're staring at there, mate. My my, my coffee? Your... Okay, so that looks like uh, my promise, Thunderbolt uh, yes. array. That's the eight four terabyte, bay, eight terabyte four bay uh, Pegasus R four Promise Thund- Technology Thunderbolt right. discs. Okay, so well, tell us all about it. I'm dying to get one of those anyway. And um, it's astonishingly it's fast. Yep. Um, it's uh, so basically what happens at the moment. I think you can actually only buy them through Apple because this is the first of the. Um, of the products that comes out that way. Uh, and so my new laptop, which obviously has a Thunderbolt uh, plug in it, goes straight into the Pegasus. My old monitor through a adapter uh, then also goes into the Pegasus. And so my monitor uh, doesn't connect up directly to my laptop. It, my second monitor, I should say, on my laptop is, uh, is you know, looped through the, the Promise. Um, other than that, I could go further. I could replace my monitor with a new monitor, in which case I could plug um, a lot of more stuff into the monitor mm. and have about only one connection into the laptop. The only things that I would still need to plug into the laptop are things like audio, like as we're recording this right now, I've obviously got a feed in from the mixer um, and I have a couple of other things uh, going on. But apart from that, you know, that's the thing. But the reason you get it, of course, is that I've got eight terabytes running incredibly fast up and down. So I've started editing uh, in Final Cut X, yes, in Final Cut X, uh, okay. with some stuff uh, yep. off it. But mainly I've been uh, running DaVinci off it. So I have my media for my uh, Resolve grading yep. sitting on my Promise, which is incredibly fast to the laptop. And, of course, the second screen here is being used as my primary DaVinci grading screen. And outside we have uh, more Resolves set up. Um, now we also have uh, Scratcher and stuff, but I just happen to have Resolve running on my desktop. So because it's so fast, then you don't necessarily need to run it in like fast RAID mode. You can just use it as storage thing. So what I've done with it at the moment is I've divided my, and this is slightly controversial, but it just works for me. I've divided my four drives into one drive, which is partitioned off as a separate logical drive for archiving um, for backup yep. for Time Machine, because I have increasingly become dissatisfied with uh, Drobo. It's slow. It's uh, really slow. It's it's really slow. Very noisy. The Drobo. It's noisy and it's um, just genuinely... Um, it always sounded like, I remember when you had it on your desk, it always sounded like somebody, one of those big, sounded like a lotto machine, one of those big bingo things full of balls just rattling around. Yeah. So anyway, I... I've been down on the uh, Drobo for a while and it only connected through FireWire 800, which in of itself was a hassle because I often wanted to plug in my stills camera. And of course, my stills camera uh, pops out a CF card and the CF card reader that I've been using is a FireWire 800 card. So that was annoying. But also it was just whenever it went into backup mode, it took so bloody long to copy stuff over. Yeah. Now you shouldn't notice it backing up in the background, but we do quite a lot of high-performance stuff here, so I really did notice... It was bogging you down while yeah. I was trying to do it. Now, with this uh, box, it's lightningly fast, so it's going to copy gigs of stuff and uh, archive it. But this, I guess, is an important point. I am archiving and backing up on it. So the, the partitioned uh, logical uh, partition is causing it to have a, a backup partition because if you've ever used... Uh, 
on Apple Time Machine, it will keep on filling up yeah. and filling up until it runs out of disk space, and then it yeah. starts going back and it starts getting a roll stuff. the older stuff. So if yeah. I plugged it into an eight terabyte um, Promise, it would eventually fill up the eight terabytes. And of course, I want this also as a fast media server to my laptop because there's nothing wrong with the i7 in the MacBook Pro. It's just not enough disk to work. No, now, sure. In the MacBook Pro, I have an SSD drive, so it's very, very fast. So when I'm grading, say, red material, if I was transcoding, I wouldn't do it here. I'd use it on the Red Rocket yep. outside. But if I was actually editing, it, it's, and in fact, grading R3D material is a great example of this. I don't want to have all that R3D material on my SS drive because even though the SSD is quite large, I think I've got a 500 in here, or maybe okay. 700. Um, yeah. That's great for accessing applications, but the media I want in fast access, and so I put that all on the promise in the now what I call archive partition. So the backup partition is smaller and it will just buffer what's going on on the uh, MacBook Pro like emails and stuff. And then the main archive area is both where I archive stuff to before it goes off to our LTOs and where I have as a sort of a buffer for day-to-day work stuff. So it's a great, great, great solution. But still, this isn't as important as some of the other news I want to talk about. Okay. Which is that... um, uh, also announced today, um, a really interesting move in the industry, which is 3D Reality acquiring Element Technica. Now, I guess it's acquiring. It sounds like it's acquiring. I mean, it is acquiring. But to also, you could argue, sort of argue that it's a merger. Um, it isn't from a financial point of view because, uh, I don't know if you know or not, but um, uh, Clear Lake, I think it was. Clear Lake, anyway, put a bunch of money into 3 Reality a while ago. And when they recapitalized that, that infusion of money allowed them to have enough money to do the Element Technica deal, which apparently is worth some millions of dollars plus some other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the exact numbers on that. Um, and uh, and also, um, the Element Technica guys aren't, you know, selling out for their several million dollars plus equity and, and running away. Yeah. Um, they're actually going to be involved. Right. Now, I've been to Element Technica's headquarters in uh, Hollywood, and it's a modest um, but kind of, you know, clean, well-run, but modest... Um, kind of industrial uh, thing. And I think mm-hmm. they're moving out of that and moving into a new space uh, with uh, 3Ality. Now, 3Ality combined with Element Technica really stitches up about 80% of the market for 3D rigs. Yeah. Um, were, were they making their own rigs before or was Element Technica designing and making their own? Or this is basically like a buying, uh, buying, buying the technology that builds better rigs than they were originally making. I mean, Element Technica was definitely uh, making their own rigs. I mean, yeah. They, the Atom, for Absolutely. example. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, um, but I, I would say 3Ality has got a stronger position in terms of workflow solutions and general presence in the feature film market, mm-hmm. whereas I perceived Element Technica as more of a manufacturer of equipment. Um, so I would say that it's yeah. a pretty good fit because Absolutely. you've got you know, a you lot go of engineering skills. Hardware and software and, and process all together. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's really of interest to us is what's going to happen to the Element Technica bits and bobs because yeah. not all of us shoot 3D. Um, yeah. Are they going to continue making the great stuff they've been making for Red? Yes. So at the moment, the... Because uh, Red themselves seem to be, you know, they've gone nuts with the amount of stuff they're manufacturing as well, and that's not come from, from, from Element Technica. They are building... Every, every couple of days I check on the Red store, there is two or three new new things they've posted there. Um, we talked about last episode about the whole backpack thing, but you know, there's so much um, rail rail equipment, mounts, brackets, 
all the stuff that uh, you only really could go to Element Technica for. Yeah, on the Red One, Element Technica really made its name. I think for many people that's where they first heard of the company when they were trying to get uh, whatever. Well, I mean, there, for example, um, the uh, what the predecessor to the bomb, the EVF yeah. mount, that yeah, was kind spinner. of like kind of industry standard, really. Everyone was just buying the Element right. Technica stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and Hector and Stephen and the guys are very, very good at producing well-engineered bits of kit. They didn't tend to come out with stuff and then you'd go, well, this doesn't work, but another one would. Um, and I think that that just shows the fact that they were actually knew what they were doing. They sort of spent time with the kit. They didn't just kind of design it in, um, in isolation. We bought some other stuff from some other companies that seemed really good at first, but after using it for a month or two, uh, we kind of go, okay, well, this is not... This yeah. is kind of not. It's not that it's not working, but it's it has a, a quirk. Yeah, a quirk that really uh, I thought I could work with, but it's kind of bugging me. Yeah. Or it's starting to stick, kind of thing. Um, uh huh. So I haven't had that with Element Technica. Anyway, no. I was going to say yeah. the two and three D accessories that were Element Technica brand stuff will continue to be sold as Element Technica Excellent. brand stuff. Cool. But if you went to Element Technica as I did to get bits for the Epic when I got my Epic. And you walked in, you'd be of the impression that the majority of their business was 3D, 3D rigs, rigs and not bits of kit. There was one cabinet with a bunch of stuff, yeah, and well, there was the rest of the room full of 3D yeah. kit. The average price of each part of those those that, that equation is uh, probably tells that story. The average price of the you know, 3D rig is what I don't know, fifty thousand dollars. So I put a call into um, actually some friends at 3Ality, uh, and they are just really swamped at the moment. They're going to get back to us. Hopefully, we can put that into next week's app um, if we get that, Jace. But everyone seemed really happy. It was just that obviously the news had broken just literally minutes before we started recording this, and so um, we weren't able to get anything to uh, put in this week's show. Which brings us round to the next thing, which I think is also really huge, and for me certainly of great interest, which is that um, uh, Red has indicated that... <laughs> indicated that... Uh, real, <laughs> that real soon now. No, um, <laughs> that within a matter of whatever you describe as a week, and I, I obviously it was less... Under, I did, Clearly a week They're going to start is, shipping X's yeah. in some unit of time that was once called a week, but apparently... It's a red week. Much as, yeah, a red week. A red there week. Which is kind of like a light year. No, that's just a measure of distance. Um, it's like a dog year. Okay. So, anyway, Jim said uh, it was worth the wait, but it's uh, they're going to now start shipping them next week. And then he said, actually, next week is not actually next week, but the week of August the 29th. Sorry for the confusion. Wait, now, Jesus. we're recording this... Uh, in the uh, in the week before the week of the 29th so obviously uh, next week is actually now the week of the 29th 29th. yeah so when he when he said that it was like last week yeah so this coming week uh, we should see emails going out to some people now what was kind of interesting is that there was a second clarification from Jared about the like the order in which they were going out. Did you pick up on that? Uh, yeah, so they'll be sending out the first batch of emails uh, just a few days before shipping. So that should be a few days before the week of August. Yeah, no, you're just teasing. Um, uh, yeah, and it will go by delivery date of your red one. So not necessarily the order of your serial number, but when you actually paid and delivered. You know, So if you actually paid, up, paid for and you got your red one in your... If you got Red One 450 or whatever before uh, the guy who was uh, number 85, if you actually paid and delivered it, then you'll, 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 if you're in line for um, Stage 2, then you will see your Epic X you know, before then. So basically, 
and your Epic X serial number will not match your Red One serial number. I guess that will be again going on the delivery number. Although the Red One, the uh, Epics and the the M serial numbers we've seen so far have been just completely arbitrary and completely. You know, they probably don't want to get stuck too much in people hanging on and clinging on with the significance of the numbers of their serial numbers because we've seen uh, serial numbers so far for everybody right across the board. Yeah, I mean, obviously in the early days the serial numbers were a little more relevant. It was special, absolutely. Well, we had number 22 and it was the... Literally the 22nd one, because I could tell you who where all the ones preceding that in the number line go yeah. to. But in reality, before even the number one of that numbered series went out, there was the ones that were called like Hollywood and London and stuff that were out yeah. before that. But look, I mean, at, at some point, and I spoke to Ted about this, at some point, Ted said point blank, look, here's the thing, of all of the customers that bought in the early round of red ones and epics i think i could tell you all of them personally and we know them all and so it's not like your face like getting obsessed on the numbers you're not a number yeah really actually you have a relationship and if you have a good relationship with red that is your best shot at um doing stuff now yeah some people may criticize this as being uh them favoring friends but still others and i think i'd probably put myself in this category actually likes the fact that we're not talking with a faceless corporation that we actually you know know these guys and can call them up and uh, speak to them and they are very friendly and approachable. Yeah. And We've talked about this before, the fact that it is really worthwhile building a relationship with these people that, you know, I mean, I know it's just gear, right? But at the end of the day, that gear can be, you know, the key to, you know, better creativity and better, you know, better results and getting your job done with less money or less time or whatever it be. You know, it, at the end of the day, it isn't just geeking out on gear and, and it is really... It's been invaluable for me to have some great relationships that I haven't, you know, bought my way into. I've literally just, you know, established a connection with 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 companies, and it's, you know, it's been fantastically rewarding. I mean, it's obviously, particularly doing this podcast, but just for work wise, it's been great to 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 you know get inside track on stuff. And it's not, you know, you don't have to be some weird celeb person because I'm not. You have to be just literally someone who bothers to make a connection. So I think it's really important to do that. And, and same same deal with Red. And I think, you know, Red, Red are make no, it's no secret that they, you know, I, I would probably do the same if I had a company as well. You know, you, um, you know, you, you gravitate to the people that you have a connection with. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, and I don't think, um, I think most people just, you know, almost expect it to be more by the book. But yeah. Red is not a company that works by the book, so there you go. Yeah, there you um, go. And I anyway, so obviously it flags the before, fact there. I prefer this to Canon, which is, you know, just refuse to answer our emails. Yeah, no, or even sharp for interviews. That they book. Not that we're bitter. <laughs> not that we're bitter on Twitter. Or hold a grudge in any way. No. Um, but obviously it flags the fact that we're well past uh, any tsunami delays, and I'm sure that, uh, as, the, as we flagged before, there's racks and racks of, uh, of Epic X's just awaiting those last bits of material. And I think, obviously, possibly what maybe just if there is any further delays, it'll be the accessories to come with them. So I don't think uh, Epic wants to, I don't think Red want to do five FedEx numbers for, to ship you one kit. They're going to try and get it all together and get it out the door. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and, so it's good. We're sort of past that hump, hopefully. And uh, this next coming week will turn in, will stay that way. And I really mean that. Like, I mean, I would really prefer to have um, someone like Ted who is trying as best he can to just talk to people 
than a, I don't know, Tim Smith at Canon who just refuses to answer emails and doesn't speak to us. And the thing is that it is easy to sometimes to make jokes about Red because they're so open about stuff that they give you almost fodder for that. Um, but by the same token, uh, you know, we've reached a stage where there are a hell of a lot of M's out there. And I'd have to say that in the industry right now, I perceive that it's, um, it's really dominated by Alexas and uh, by Epics. I don't think that um, I, I don't think I would even say that, that film is on the same par anymore with those two. No, no. I was speaking to uh, Grader um, last week and uh, just to read, you know, what kind of ratios is he seeing coming through the door? What are we sort of seeing? And there is, you know, it's probably uh, a, a, a vast majority of, uh, well, a vast majority. There is a lot of Alexa work coming through and Maybe fifty percent of it is 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 raw, and fifty other fifty percent of it is still ProRes, um, and that's probably matched one for one for 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 red jobs, um, and then it's probably thirty um, percent of of DSLR. But uh, you know there is it's almost in terms of fifty fifty in terms of the Alexa to red work that we're seeing come through. Again, we've talked about the fact that DPs have just latched onto this stuff, and uh, people have been quite happy with. I've got to say, I think a really big... Um, so I, I, there's three things I'd say that. Firstly, I think full marks to Ari because they've not only produced a really good camera, they've done it uh, at a at what seems to be a sensible price point for them. Because really, if you think about it, Jace, there was, there was the $250,000, $150,000, but $135,000 sort of digital cameras, some yeah. of which were only two-thirds inch. Yeah. Red came along with this mega game changer and sort of popped up with this camera that at face value anyway, it was under 10 grand. Obviously, it wasn't by the time we put some accessories on, but it was just really... And then what happened is Ari came in and said, well, we're going to produce something that's more expensive on paper than you guys are talking about, but we're going to do it well. And as it's turned out, the M's and the Aries, and now I'm saying the high-end Epics and the low-end Aries, but nevertheless, they're, they're in that kind of 50, 60 kind of price range. Mm. They kind of met in the middle a little, and that is a valid financial yep. business point. Now, I don't think the industry would be served well by Ari being unsuccessful. No matter how much of a fanboy you might be for Red, yeah. we're a better industry to have you know, both of them um, happy and successful. Yeah, but definitely. Ari, when they came out with the Alexa, on this very podcast, we did question that price point. It seemed high to us at fifty to 60000 We didn't know then that the Epics, especially the M's, would end up being much more than we thought. Um, and we thought that there would be a lot of pushback because we expected a Canon or somebody to come out with something much closer to the uh, Epic and we expected, you know, Scarlet's at uh, whatever it was, 3K. And yeah, it just felt like the Aries were expensive. And they stuck to their guns and they were right. They, they picked the right number. The yeah. second thing they did really right is they did come out with this onboard recording in a compressed format. Now, yeah. I, I think when Red does that, and it's obviously on Red's... Um, drawing board, yeah. when they come out with the same module for the Epic, they'll see a huge um, upswing Massive. in popularity. Massive. Because at the moment, Epic is limiting itself to those that, that are comfortable with the raw workflow. That if, you can, if you could say that the phenomenal success of Red is, is being held back, it's being held back by that. It's, uh, people are still, it still suffers from the overhang of, you know, you call them the old days where, you know, nobody knew what to do with, with reds and with R3Ds and nothing read the files and workflow was a complete headache. And, you know, obviously we've got 
to a large extent got past that but you know as we still evolve stuff and as we get into HD, hdrx and all that sort of stuff we are still that is we're going back a couple of steps again now a little bit but i think once that once that once we sort of um i think basically we have got um a, a little bit of holdback still from from people who um, are well, great go... fans of r3d not not fans of the camera necessarily not fans of the workflow. Okay, so I would actually say that I much prefer shooting with an Epic than a Alexa for holding the darn thing. Yeah. But I will say that I think Ari has been phenomenally successful. And and, and one could actually argue that Ari is even more successful than, than Red right now in terms of um, what they've managed to pull off. Mm. But, but Ari but actually, needed to be successful, but, though. But, yeah, they but Ari has be. kind of out-redded Red because if you think about it, they've kind of snuck in under Red. Because as, it, as we record this today, there is no red option that successfully addresses Ari's on-camera compressed recording. Yeah. And so... Yes, in, but their solution is buy something from another company. Although which it is could be said that Ari's solution is also buy something from another company. Well, okay, but, but what you've kind of there done... There is <laughs> But what you've kind of done is you've actually positioned or the Ari has effectively repositioned red as the company that shoots the high-end motion picture stuff, which is something that mm. that sort of high-end... Well, it is because, mm. honestly, where has Red been phenomenally successful with the Epic? It's in the features. It's the Spider-Mans and the Hobbits and the whatevers. And that wasn't where they were successful in the Red One. Where they were successful in the Red One was commercials and uh, film clips and, and stuff. And then Ari was, you know, with these big film cameras. And back on the Red One days, we would have had the situation reversed. Most of the major feature films weren't shot on the Red One. I mean, they just weren't. I mean, there's a very small number of mega feature films that were shot on the Red One. Yeah. Well, the success of the features has to be because a lot of those that you've listed are 3D. And and stereo. And, yeah, exactly. And stereo. And we need, and you want compact, you want compact bodies. I mean, you've seen a Red One 3D rig right you've seen the one the ones for bait and you know around the world we've all seen them there's massive huge things that rely on the fact that you have to keep them bolted to a technicrane all day or so or or have a rig for every single lens because you know the the turnaround and the fiddling and the setup and you know is is already a pain enough what you don't want to have to add to that is the huge bulk and the huge immovable weight so you know, a lot of that success for for has been. I mean, apart from the ca- the you know cameras and people wanting HDR and people wanting you know raw has been you know the fact that they're small, okay, which okay, Epic, that's, which Alexa cannot do still. That's absolutely true, but but you've got to give Alexa chops because um, of the log C format because the log C format is basically giving us the toe and shoulder aspects or the toe and knee aspects of film, mm. but without the crosstalk of film from a image science point of view. Um, now Red hasn't. Uh, responded in kind because their solution is an R3D format. But yeah. The R3D format, without any kind of lower res format, is pushing them to the high end because it's the high end production that absolutely doesn't care less about onboard recording in low res and wants the best quality, the high res, like the 5K, the HDRX, all that stuff. And yeah. they don't give a rat's ass about the size of the files and the data wrangling and the other stuff because it's completely, you know, par for the course. Mm. Now, now, forget them for a second, because I think that Epic is really successful in that area. Let's just now move to the next level down, and you've got the guy who uh, is making the film clip or the you know, um, TVC. It doesn't have a lot of effects in it. And now that guy's faced with, well, I have an R3D workflow that, yes, it's 5K, but really I'm going to go out at 1920 by 1080. And actually, to be honest, some commercials... Uh, most. Wow. 
Yeah. yeah. In not, fact, not it's going to be 720 for power. It's going to be 725, 76 anamorphic. You're not even going to do 1024, 576. It's literally, so, I still can't believe. So, okay, so it's 720p at best, let's say. Yeah. And on average. And then at, at that level, at that level, uh, you know, they're like, well, it grades pretty well because of the log C stuff. Now, obviously, Sony's doing their own stuff with the uh, S log, and I, I like the S log format. Um, I'm not discounting them, but if you look at Epic doesn't have, or Red doesn't have in Epic, a, a solution to that quick and easy workflow. They've said they're going to mm. do it, but it just hasn't come yet. Now, I'm not bitching at them over it, but Ari kind of cleverly, in retrospect, repositioned themselves to sneak in under Red because Red was always the, you know, the power to the people you could shoot with the professional gear and at a lower budget. But yeah. in fact, you can actually kind of shoot lower end almost with an Ari if you are willing to go with that uh, compromise of the compression on the camera. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they are. Absolutely. people. Well, the proof has been in the pudding that people are quite happy for a lot of TVCs. I just reckon, yeah, as, as we've seen, 50% of the Alexa TVCs or Alexa work regardless is, is, is just going out ProRes and not the ARRI RAW. Which you can argue if RED had a uh, counterpoint to that, they could double the amount of work that's done on RED. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and at and the moment, the counterpoint is stuff like the um, uh, Samurais and the uh, Key Pro Minis and all that sort of stuff. Now, I will say this. I do think that in a similar vein, though obviously technologically different, we will see a similar impact when Epic releases the Canon mount because unless there's an Alexa Canon mount um, yeah. about to be released any second now, uh, what, we're, what I'm giving up right now in that workflow, I would gain back in being able to lens with... Like, let's face it, you get a, an 85 1.2 Canon L piece of glass. Yeah. That's an incredibly cheap lens uh, compared to an Arri Master Prime. Or a Zeiss ZE 50 1.4. It's like 700 bucks, and it's this big, and it's built like a British shit house. You can put a gear on it, you can follow focus, you can do whatever you like, and it's small. It's, it's, it's this bloody, scarily light and small. Yeah, and so I've, I've seen that a bit by running that... Uh, um, uh, modified um, Duclos lens yeah. because it's a stills lens converted yeah. and I'm really happy with it and if that was the Duclos lens unmodified Canon mount because I had a Canon mount on my Epic yeah. I would be really happy oh absolutely there's, there's many parts of that Swiss Army knife that where 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 the Epic is completely completely uh, eats Alexa's lunch the size you know HDR as we've said um, and, and the ability to you know in, imminently to do to do uh, run stills lenses, which a ton of people, you know, have, have already owned. So I think that we, and I, as I say, I totally applaud um, Ari and Red, and I really don't want to be in a one is better than the other. I I, uh, I do obviously not own an Ari, and I do own an Epic, and I, obviously that's pretty clear. But um, Ari is doing a remarkable job, and the industry really, really, really benefits from Ari being alive and healthy because i got to tell you there are a number of other companies we could point to um, that have made serious contributions to the uh, digital space mm. and they are looking a little shaky yeah yeah well i mean the decision 50 percent of the decision to use your camera sometimes it comes from dp you know and and dps do you know well the majority of people that i you know have worked with and i know and the people that i've sort of talked to 
um, seem to choose, regardless of how much I try and talk them around, will we'll choose uh, their preferences for Alexa. And it comes from just, you know, also it's the workflow. Their assistants will pester them. It's the way, it's, you know, it's that, it, it's, it's that this shit just works kind of thing. Not that, you know, not that Epic is, um, um, you know, problem to deal with anymore. Yeah, um, I, I don't think... But, uh, you know, they, just, they just like the system. There's comfort, it's that comfort factor. But I will say this, that, um, that you know, obviously it's a complex equation because I only touched on Sony briefly. I think the F3 is a cracker of a camera yeah. um, and that's going to pose its own set of issues to, um, I think, anyway, Scarlet. Uh, oh, look, look, every time I turn around, there's the new, uh, whatever it is, the um, XG, whatever it is, I'm trying to think what it is, the Sony, um, new Sony one. Uh, there's obviously the FS100, which I had a play with uh, this week. I'm still yet to sort of have a really good play with it. But the FS100, the Sony FS100, again, we've talked about it, is uh, is definitely, obviously, uh, obviously Scarlet is going to be raw, uh, and it's going to be, but it is going to be a smaller sensor, but it is going to have some pretty cracker frame rates. Um, but you know, it's getting it's getting harder to you know consider it against stuff like the Sony the, the, the VG20, the NEX VG20. That's like fifteen hundred bucks, right? It uh, it it's an APS sensor, but it does it has the E mount, which we talked about, where there's a ton of adapters. It does nineteen twenty by ten A right up to sixty P. Uh, you know, touch screens, uh, sound. You're going to have, you know, it's got like sort of cinema, cinema gamma, gamma curves and stuff. Yeah, this small stuff, which we've been talking about, is gradually starting to come in and starting to get bigger sensors. So I think, you know, larger sensors are going to win. And, and, you know, I know we're sort of jumping all over the place here, but um, FS100, VG20, DS, and more, you know, D, you know new DSLRs are, are coming. It's... It's a really interesting, changeable market, and the more you ha- the more you delay, the more you wait, the less relevant your product you announced three years ago is going to be. <laughs> um, if you want to read a discussion on color space stuff, and certainly it's heavily influenced by my view because I wrote it uh, on um, on the high end of uh, color spaces and how uh, this impacts from the cameras, in especially to the uh, Aces workflow, uh, the Academy stuff. Uh, we've just published a story on FX Guide called The Art of Digital Colour. I'm just going to give it a plug because I think it's relevant to our community, Jace. Uh, obviously, I do because I wrote it. Um, basically, this is a discussion on the high-end workflows in terms of colour science, in particular why ACES is happening from the Academy and how it's going to work and and then how important it is to understand the major camera manufacturers and how they feed into an ACES workflow and, and how at the high end. So it's the sort of exact opposite of the on-camera recording that we've been discussing. Yeah. Sure. Um, but that's on, on FX Guide called The Art of Digital Colour and it's part of our Art of series. We publish these, um, we're probably publishing them more regularly but we publish them um, every once in a while and they take a lot of research and this one I've been researching for probably two to three months uh, and uh, it's high-end geek factor so if you're listening to this podcast and you want to geek out this is a good place to go. But uh, it actually includes some interesting uh, discussions, including uh, Joshua Pines, who's part of the um, ACES uh, Academy's Science and Technology Council group and um, addresses the evolution to OpenEXR and, and ACES workflow. But also, you know, um, I think that the philosophy behind that floating point uh, high-end workflow is relevant even if you go on a red color too. 
uh, pipeline and uh, especially with an HDRX pipe into a VFX pipeline. But anyway, just to give that a plug, that story's over at uh, fxguide.com. Excellent. So, shall we... What shall we do? We've got a bit of gear. Bit of gear through to get through. We've got a bit of... Uh, we've got a red room. We haven't actually plugged the red room. We should have done that. Um, do you want to say who's coming up later in the red room? Yeah, I'm speaking to Tom Burston, who uh, is was a DP on the uh, New Zealand version of, uh, I guess I guess you could call it a series of series, uh, Underbelly, which is basically like gangland uh, warfare kind of TV series, which we've done stuff in, 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 it's in its second or third or so series here in, in, in Sydney, in Australia, and they're now uh, launching the... Uh, a new version of in New Zealand called Underbelly Land of the Long Green Cloud. And uh, we spoke to Tom because he shot it on Sony F3 and he had dabbled with, you know, external recorders and internal recorders. And so we thought that was worth um, worth having a chat with him, seeing as it's uh, that show is rolling out uh, in New Zealand at the moment. Well, let, let's now that do I've that. done the intro, yeah, let's, let's, go. let's go straight into the interview. You are entering the Red Room. Well, thanks, Tom, for taking the time to speak to us. I really appreciate it, mate. Oh, my pleasure. Well, maybe start with a quick background on you. Um, give us the um, Regis Digest version of the Tom Burston story. Wow. Well, um, I think this is my 42nd year in the business. Uh, I started when I was 16, 15, at the National Film Board of Canada, and uh I've been a shooter most of my life, dramatic films, and um, directed a bunch of documentaries. And then now, I've now since moved to New Zealand, uh, returned to my returned to my first love of documentary making, without giving up uh, the dramatic the dramatic side of my life. Right. Okay. And uh, so, how long have you been back in New Zealand? Uh, nine years. Okay, right, a fair while. Right. So I had to, had to sort of reassess the... Um, most of my experience has been in the world of high-end uh, uh, American television and, you know, independent features. And there's a whole other... Uh, there's a whole other budget and, um, you know, uh, approach to filmmaking down here. So I've had to, you know, reassess my uh, my own personal approach to the work. So maybe th- run through for the flip side of that. Then maybe run through some of the stuff you had done um, stateside. Well, I think. Um, let me see. My favorite feature film was um, uh, City of Industry with uh, Harvey Keitel and um, directed by. Uh, directed by John Irvin. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, lots and lots and lots of good television. Uh, when Trumpets Fade, nominated for uh, ASC Award. Um, the Forty Four Hundred, the first, the pilot in the first season. Fantastic. Um, a show that's coming soon called Facing Kate. Oh, now it's called um, what's it called? The real name is Fairly Legal. Um, lots and lots of television movies and miniseries. 
Okay, well, I might jump back to the differences, I guess, between the two sort of working industries. But um, for why we're speaking to you, obviously, is you uh, just uh, completed shooting uh, the uh, New Zealand version of Underbelly, which was a highly popular Australian TV series uh, covering the real events of the modern gangland war in Melbourne. So this new version follows the New Zealand link to that story, am I right? That's right. Right, okay. So how did you come to the project? Um, that's a good question. I heard I heard it was crewing up. I um I gave them a call, dropped off a real resume, and then met with um with Rick, the producer, uh, Rick Pellegrisi, and um, we hit it off. So right. that's how it started. Right, it pays to chase stuff up. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? You have to you have to be interested. There's so many other people looking around for um, for the same job you're going for. You can't afford to be blasé. No um, matter how good your reel is, it pays to pick up the phone. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. once you pick up the phone, to be you know excited. Yes, exactly. I blew a lot of interviews in on the other side of the world by being cool or not being interested. And uh, I remember I read the script for. Um, what was that? Uh, oh, that sort of spoof on a horror film. It's um, a sort of flying high, sort of spoof type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, big, big series. I read the script. I didn't get it. I didn't get that it was a spoof. Oh, it's huge. They've made like four of them. Uh, the Whalen Brothers. Anyway, uh huh. Uh-huh. I walked into the interview and like uh, I pretended I got it, but I didn't. I didn't. Nobody told me it was a spoof. I just thought it was a really bad horror film. <laughs> Blew that one. Yeah, so have some have some energy for the project. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So well let's jump to um the Scary project. movie. Scary movie. Right. Yeah, right. scary scary movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could have done all of those. Well, I don't know. I could have been smarter in the interview, that's all. <laughs> okay. So all right, so for underbelly. Um, you shot with the uh, F3. Let's just I'll just jump straight into the gear, I guess. Uh, this was yeah. all shot on uh, Sony F3. This is the first time uh, using that gear. It would have been would have been pretty early in the F3 days, I guess, when you started shooting this. Yeah, it was fresh out of the box. I think we got one of the first ones in the country, and um, yeah, we started off using it with a, um, a Key Pro Mini, you know, four two two ten bit uh, recorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the budget—the budget for the for the project was so low, and our schedule so. Of course, the first place that the budget is reflected is in the schedule. And we had a lot of work to do in a very short space of time. A lot of company moves. Um, I don't think we, you know, uh, we had at least three, three, four, five moves a week. You know, m- moving every day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know you have to move. You have to go fast. That's the that's the deal. I think uh, so. I tried to design. I tried to design the look as well as the equipment package to match that kind of uh, rigor. So the first thing to go was the recorder. Actually, we discovered that. Um, I think the problem wasn't in the end wasn't with the recorder itself, but with our. Um, with our approach to it, it um, it 
it demanded a lot of power, so a lot of battery changes. Uh, it right. added quite a bit of weight and bulk to the to what to what out of the box is a very small and compact camera. Mm. Um, and lots of you know with with all those off you know with all those onboard accessories, you always end up having cables. There's power cables and video cables and more stuff to break, come loose, you know, generally crap. So, uh, and we ended up, ha I think we, what we did, we had the wrong CF cards. I don't think we had the, we didn't have the fastest. We wouldn't have cards that were acceptable, but not fast enough. So very often we would lose uh, a take. Right. So even though they were sort of in spec, they, you should have had higher spec basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then editorial were complaining that they didn't want to have to go through, they had a, you know, they have a similarly rigorous schedule. And they didn't want to have to go through uh, and look for the onboard recordings when the you know the four two two recording crapped out. So right, so do one down. or the other, please. Yeah, so we just dumped the whole thing. <laughs> and in the end, now I'm, I'm sitting in the color correct, um, and uh, you know, if you're careful with your initial exposure, then yeah. um, I, then everything falls within. Um, everything falls within um, uh, an area where you can control it. Mm. So you had an opportunity, obviously, to compare the uh, difference from the stuff recorded on the Keypro and the stuff recorded internally. Yeah. Yeah, they both had very similar latitudes. I mean, it's about 11, 11 and a half stops of latitude. The Keypro, you know, the 10-bit the, the gives you a little bit more, uh, maybe half a stop more, so you're up to 11 and a half, and the onboard is, you know... Uh, that that half stop less, but still both both great um, provide great um, shadow detail. Lots mm. of punch. The camera's wonderful. I mean, there's so much punch in the in the in the shadows. It's amazingly fast too. And yeah, it's about you know six forty eight hundred ISO. It's um, it's really really easy camera to work with. Mm. But you can wind up the uh, you know ISO and get away with it quite 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 well. Yeah, I mean, we shot, I mean, uh, one scene, there was no, you know, as usual, no time, end of day, and we had a driving scene to do, and I didn't want to end up in the, you know, in the warehouse with some, you know, lights panning on and off the the poor man's process deal. I always find that really <laughs> cheesy. So uh, we dialed in 12 dB of gain and took the car out onto the motorway and shot with available light. I had a little tiny light hanging over the windshield, uh, you know, over the windscreen, shining back in at them. We were in the back seat looking forward, you know, three-quarter overs onto the passenger and the driver. Right. And then a reverse on a passenger in the back seat. But um, in the end, I turned that light off. So we it went exclusively with the um, with available light, the street lights coming in, the car headlights, the the work crew on the road and their flashing lights, everything played because you're, you know, you're reaching so far into the, into the darkness. Every yeah. little light has a big effect. So it was a wonderful, and a bit more uh, random and interesting. Yeah, and virtually noise free. What yeah. noise? What noise we did generate, we can dial out. Right. So it's a fantastic low budget tool. Mm. So um, part of that uh, package then was a lens choice. Yes. Again, money. Um, I was racking my brains for uh, 
to come up with a, a good, you know, a good Zoom that we could afford. And in the end, um, we got uh, Paul Richards' um, Rouge Zooms from uh, Ingenieur. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Richards supplied one of the cameras and uh, a lot of the accessories. And his Zooms are really nice. They're beautiful and sharp, but they are a 2.5, I believe. And they do add quite a bit of bulk to the camera body. Yeah. And... Um, in the end, they're just a nice, modern, sharp zoom. You know, they didn't have, they didn't give a lot of character to the picture. And I thought, um, you know, I was looking through the internet and I found a, uh, an adapter for uh, Nikkor lenses. And I thought about it. I remember, you know, I used to shoot with a Nikon in the in the 70s. I had one and, uh, and I remembered... Uh, you remember from the darkroom, I remember how beautiful those lenses were and how much I liked them and I bought the I bought two of those adapters and um, I scoured the world for a set of uh, a nice set of lenses and I ended up with a beautiful set of uh, nine nine lenses from uh, from a twenty mil to a two hundred and none of them were slower than two eight and in every range you know there was a a thirty five one four a fifty one two an 85-1.4, the 200 was a 2, the 135 was a 2, so they're really fast lenses. So did you move away from the zooms to uh, in testing, or did you start, you had them on board and you just used them when you had the light? or We, we had the zooms on board and never used them once, <laughs> which is hats off actually to the, to the focus pullers for you know making the lens changes. The the lens changes are, by definition, a little uh, clumsy. The lenses aren't designed to go on and off like that. The mount isn't the best. It's a good, you know, mechanically the mount was okay. Good, the flange depth was equal in both cameras. Uh, I mean, in both mounts, and um, it's a, a robust thing. But it's it takes it's a little fussy putting on and off. So, did you had them modified? Yes, we put the um, we put uh, some some large radius uh, lens gears on, and then we used uh, uh, we expanded the the focus range uh, by using a remote focus that you can you know you can make the you can you can make the twist bigger on your on your handheld uh, receiver and so, reverse the direction obviously and and, and, yeah, and are the incorrect direction that most yeah. focus pullers will be driven slowly insane by. Yeah, or exactly. in, in work, unworkable, basically. Yeah, and um, and we shot a lot because of the speed and because of the style, and because the lenses are so beautiful wide open. They have a a sort of a built-in diffusion when you shoot at one four. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot the lion's share of that of that uh, series wide open. So and and then indeed down just to keep wide open the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, with with running a remote focus system, I mean, obviously, again, that's adding gear, batteries, cables, yeah, and a bit of fussiness to that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure there's a better way. Uh, we'll figure it out. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I think one of those companies, Red Rock or um, Sakuda, or one of those guys, have a a small follow focus coming out. It's not. It's still not. Uh, it's still not out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that operates off um, an iPhone or something. 
Yeah. And coming. Coming. Yeah. They're all coming. And Berger, <laughs> this company Berger in the in Massachusetts in the United States has also a very interesting uh remote focus device. But coming. Coming yeah. soon. Coming soon. So we, we worked with we had, the down the downside uh of um we had two uh two focus devices. One was an old Preston and the other one was an Ari. Yes, mm-hmm. an Ari. And the Ari was particularly uh, particularly brutal on those poor old lenses. I mean, the lenses are you got the best ones I could find. They were all some of them were some of them were in like new condition. But um, you know, in order to set up the um, the focus, the the motor takes the lens all the way to either end of its um, travel. Yeah, and then. Uh, Keeps pushing it, you know. The, it's it's not a cine lens, so it has quite a bit of torque on that motor. Mm. Um, so the, all the lenses went into um, all the lenses went in for refurbishment at the end of the show. <laughs> but given their cost, I mean, I think I I spent um, getting the mounts and the lenses and the gearings. I think I spent seven thousand bucks on yeah. nine lenses. Yeah. And so you know, yeah. if, if, and I think the repair is going to cost me six hundred dollars. So it's a fair price. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but you know, for a good look, and I guess the price of uh, the of changing lenses the whole time, going with primes versus what would be the incredible temptation of having zooms and just uh, never stopping for a lens change. Yeah. Uh, the payoff is obviously a much nicer look. Yeah, yeah, they're really gorgeous. I have to say, and. I think a perfect marriage for you know the the if there's one big downfall to HD it's 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 unforgiving nature it's too sharp by half and uh, and the better the cameras get the sharper they become they don't have the film grain and the that sort of uh, analog uh, interpretation that uh, you know that the photochemical process gives you they're just electric. Mm. So the old lenses really help to soften everything and bring everything back to a human sort of look. Now with that, my, my short experience with the F3 tells me you can make it um, reasonably filmically soft in the camera and you can make it way sharp if you if you want to. There's a lot of control, I guess, for in terms of um, the... Uh, you know the sort of cine curves and sharpness and things. Did you play around much in testing to try and build in that film look, or just dial a couple of presets and run? A couple of presets and run. I mean, my philosophy is that uh, in this age, you know, in this digital age, the camera is uh, the ca- in this digital age only half the camera is in the camera. The other half of the camera is in the post suite. So I I approach it by trying to acquire as much clean information as I can and then spend my time in the luxurious comfort of um, a post-suite with an expert colorist and finesse there. So in in terms of sharp, you know, we, we looked at the sharpening. It's kind of sometimes if there's a big backlight, it you can feel it. You know, you can feel an edge to it, a little, a little sharp nasty line between the highlight and the shadow um, other times in a soft situation in a in a gentle light it's nice but uh, in the end I turn it off as I normally do Boof, it's gone and we'll we'll apply sharpening later on yeah um, you know in, in in much finer increments I mean the other thing is 
if you look at a camera, especially uh, something like the the F3, which is a you know uh, low end of of uh, HD acquisition, um, the camera costs twenty thousand bucks, and it's you know the size of a shoebox, and a color suite is millions of dollars, and occupies the better part of a building. Which facility do you think affords the finest control? Mm. So, again. You know, as Ansel Adams said, the uh, the score is the negative, and the the performance is the is the print. Mm. So I apply that same old school philosophy. So, what was your colorist's uh, impression of the footage you had to work with? I think he likes it. I mean, we're still in the we're still in the early days. I've just I've just done the first episode. Uh, we get bolder as. Um, as I get used to the camera um, and as the production goes on so we'll see what happens we'll see if those if I've reached if I've reached the edge or gone over the edge in some cases but um, um, he was pretty impressed um, we did try and and affect some some bigger adjustments that weren't they, they were beyond the the capability of the file you know that was just it's yeah. harder it's harder to make a nice, a nice clean key, um, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't mm-hmm. do, I wouldn't do a green screen with the onboard. I would do a green screen with an off, with with a a, a recorder, especially with the new, um, the new curve and the four 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 potential. I think it's yeah. up there. Yeah. So but, was there any being being a fresh out of the box camera and reasonably untested? Was there any pushback on you using this? sort of relatively unknown machine uh there was concern certainly um i think uh i think the the brand name sony gave a lot of uh, confidence to um to the powers that be mm. and i think also if we look around and we look at the you know the red for an example the red camera i think is a fantastic camera but it's not i have not worked on a show where we didn't have the camera crash regularly lost takes um, uh, usually it doesn't run you know uh, occasionally there's a take that just doesn't get recorded yeah. and um, that's always a disaster <clears throat> and then um, and then when when it does crash you, you know you're waiting uh, it's probably you know 90 seconds or two minutes for it to reboot so yeah do that a few times a day and there's a few minutes gone and then there's the you know the usual finger pointing and what happened discussion and so uh, it's nice to have a camera that you turn on it works and you know its parameters you go and shoot within those parameters you know I I started off I think the the film stock that I started using when I was first a DP was uh uh, 5254 and then 5247 came in and if I think back um, this camera has at least two stops more latitude than that ever did Wow! so all I have to do is dial my brain back to those days and I'm happy yeah I guess my thought with all of that sort of stuff is that you know even if it doesn't have the latitude it's how it treats that and how it, it's how it works with the latitude it has that, that makes it you know, sort of live or die. I guess if you've only got eleven stops, but it does a lot with those eleven stops, then I guess yes, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Very it's good how point. it rolls off those highlights. Yeah, etc. 
Well, it doesn't. I mean, it's sort of, <laughs> you know, like those big, the, you know, the, the the Genesis and the Alexa and, uh, you know, those, the, the, the cream of the HD world. They have a beautiful roll off into, into the highlights. This camera has a little bit, but uh, basically don't go there. Mm. My, I mean, my approach is I look at it like I'm exposing um, a reversal film. So yeah, I take care of the highlights. Mm. Yeah, I protect the highlights and then the shadows. I know the shadows down way down into you know ten percent. I can push up very easily. Mm. So I can, I, you know, if the image will look dark or muddy on set on the monitor, I can look at the waveform and I know that I've got room to to push it around. Especially with you know power windows and the the post production facilities are amazing. You know, the old days we had a Hazeltine and, you know, made it brighter or darker. We took the green out, we added some magenta, we made it warmer, colder, and that was about it. And now you can, you know, it's Photoshop for movies. It's fantastic. Yeah. So you're rolling with the post as it's going to air. Has it gone to air yet, the first few apps? No, I think September, they're talking about September being the first, uh, the, the the opening. Right, cool. Okay. Um... Excellent. All right. So yeah, we have one day of basically a day and a bit, a day and a couple of hours of color correction per episode, per mm-hmm. one hour episode. That's, that's so, not too bad, I guess. I guess. There's the other thing about North America. I mean, I did a show a few years ago that was really uh, green screen heavy and visual effects heavy and lots of uh, lots of different looks. And it was three, three one hours for no three two hours for television, so whether it's forty five minutes an hour, right? And we had six weeks of color correction. That was my record. I mean, that was fantastic mm-hmm. to come and sit in that room for you know every day for six weeks and go through every shot and just make it the best. It's that yeah. the ability to go back to things, I think, that I really appreciate when you've got the time. Yeah. Although, having said that, you know, this is a different world. We don't have that budget. And uh, there is another approach. Instead of trying to, to emulate that kind of, of, of wealth and, and gloss, uh, I think you go another way. And especially, you know, Underbelly was the perfect vehicle for it because it's pretty rough and ready. And because mm. it's a period, it's the 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 perfect period. You make it, uh, you make it edgy and 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 rough on your eye, and you know you give you you make that your style, and then you yeah. have, and then you you've got it, you know. So did your lighting package shrink with the was forced obviously to shrink, and your lighting style I guess forced to shrink with the schedule. Yeah, I mean I try and. Um, I have a, uh, the gaffer I work with is a fantastic, uh, fantastic gaffer Grant uh, McKinnon, and he. I, I also um, I gave him the responsibility of uh, shooting B camera. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when you're not hanging around, you're hanging around if you're a gaffer between uh, while we're shooting. So I thought, well, he loves shooting. He's got a great eye, and uh, he also knows the light, obviously. So. Um, he would light the shot and while he was lighting he'd see an angle for himself 
or he'd make sure the angle you know we chose was uh, was being lit that B camera angle, mm-hmm. and he'd jump onto the camera and um, it moved really well. But yeah, very little lighting. Yeah, so uh, very simple lighting. We looked for available light and then either went exclusively with it or just uh, added to it. Yeah. And I guess there's moments, I guess, obviously, you can, I guess, with the low light of the F3, you can run with that available light and, and I guess then in post just push it and make it make something of that look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's quite and interesting it having your gaffer be your second unit, uh, or your, your B-cam operator. Yeah, it worked really well. I think he enjoyed it, and um, and he certainly did a fantastic job. And uh, again, you know, it's first and foremost is is having an eye. Um, yeah, not everybody could do that, but um, being so intimate with the lighting, it's a it's almost a no brainer to uh, to do that kind of job. And again, the budget, you know, if. Um, Everybody, everybody steps up a little bit. So, you know, the the lamp ops and uh, and the best boy have to take over to a certain extent, and um, and the focus puller has to help out. You know, helping to prepare the shot while while the gaffer's gaffing before he puts his operator hat on. But um, it makes everybody more focused in a way. So, were there any gotchas with the camera? Anything that was a real stitch up? Um, no, I mean, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's part of the, part of the economy of the camera is it's, um, it's quite a delicate machine. Mm. So I think, um, you know, it's not, I mean, that's one of the things that makes it so light and easy to work with, but it's, um, it it is a, um, I don't want to say it's a disposable camera, but it, it'll it'll need very you you need to be careful with it, mm. uh, and especially the mount. I wonder, I wonder how I wonder what the life is of that uh, of that mount. You know, yeah. changing lenses all day and on and off. It looks. Mm. I don't know. You know, if you you just you look at that and you look at a and you know a Panavision or a, or an or a PL mount. Um, you can see that one, you know, the one is very robust and one is not so robust. So you had Nikon to PL adapter or Nikon to the EX adapter? A Nikon to the EX. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. you take the entire mount off. Yeah, that adapter off. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is there anything you think we need to touch on that was interesting from your point of view from the shoot? No, I think we've covered it. I mean, it's just, I, you know, I think it's the great um, these all these cameras, and you know, every six months there's a new there's a new leader. Yeah, I think the um, cameras like the F three and uh, you know they're they're the great uh, democratization of cinema. Yeah, and Alexa and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what's next for you? I guess you're still uh, posting this for a while. Yeah, we have a few. Um, a few weeks left in post. Uh, I mean, I've got five five more shows to to color correct, and um, uh, I've got a little show with Gaylene Preston. Um, she's doing the dramatic portion of and executive producing a uh, um, a docudrama. Okay. So she's doing the drama part, and uh, and then our own projects. We're finishing up a documentary I shot in London last year. 
and um, developing a bunch of other things. Excellent. So onward. Excellent. So how can people contact you or find out more? Oh, I'm on, um, I'm on Facebook, and uh, we have a company, um, a company website, www.cloudsouth.co.nz, and a Twitter account, which is T. Burston, yeah. which is also what the, I think that's what the Facebook is. Excellent. Anyway, you can find me on Facebook with my real name. Excellent. Okay. Well, Thomas, thanks, mate. I'm, I'm, we look forward to seeing it uh, roll out on air, and congrats with the gig, and good luck with the next thing. And thanks Thank for you. talking to us. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for that, Jace. And I've got to say, um, that show, if you're not familiar with it, or the series, as it were, the, um, the idea of the uh, sort of mini-series of crime shows have been phenomenally successful here in, in Australia. Yeah, it has been. It's huge. Um, I'm not particularly a fan, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, there's different iterations. I think the one at the moment, Underbelly Razor, almost like going back to almost like 30s or so. So they, they're our, definitely it's reinventing it. It's it's our CSI. It is. It's our law and order. Hey, um, <laughs> a couple of other things that we didn't mention earlier. I should have flagged one of them when we were talking about ARI. Is the um, ARI anamorphic lens license or anamorphic license for the Alexa? Yeah. So you actually purchase it uh, as a, as I guess, like a little software upgrade. You, uh, Do you know how much it is? It is seven. Uh, yes. Thank my uh, Twitter. Mitch, Mitch Gross uh, helped me out. Uh, Mitch Gross from um, uh, Able Cine uh, pop, popped up on, on Twitter to help me out here. About $750-ish. So that is uh, a software update and you just install it via SD card. So I guess for rental... Uh, I guess for rental uh, units, you can kind of install. You don't have to have if you've got ten Alexas, you don't have to have ten of these software uh, licenses. You can install it only on the ones that uh, need to go out um, fitted that way. Uh, so obviously, it's doing D squeeze. Well, what's interesting, it'll do a couple of versions of D squeeze. It'll do two two times, or two to one, or one point three to one uh, D squeeze, depending on your anamorphic lenses. The one point three. Animal fix, obviously not as common, but they are more designed for the fact if you have a 16 by 9 size chip, 1.3 will get you to 2 to 1, will get you anamorphic, uh, get you Panavision sized screen. But isn't there also with a the 16 by 9 chip? 2 times mag 1, what's that? Uh, um, like there's uh, a one times three, a two, yeah, and then there's a third option. Well, that's the it? options. Is um, I'm not sure what the two times magnification is, but you can have one point three times, two times, or two two times with magnification. I'm yet to find out what that's about. Uh, there is a white paper at Able Cine uh, again um, from the fabulous Mitch Gross and Co. Um, there's a link to that in the show notes about the white paper for uh, explaining all the overview, the overview, a bit of a backstory on anamorphic as it as it stands, but also just explaining the process for those that haven't dealt with it, uh, but then also obviously how how you get to it through the Alexa menus. So these guys are continue to be just a sensational source of of fantastic information for the industry, and just I cannot applaud uh, those guys enough. If I was Living in there, living in the states, I think they'd be they'd be they'd be a great uh, place to go rent your gear from. I can only presume these guys really know their stuff. They're consistently putting out uh, some fantastic info. Um, so look, go and check out the white paper there. We'll sort of find out what the D squeeze, what that. Uh, I can actually answer my own question. Can you? Yes. What is two times if mag? The, if the and I can answer it thanks to an incredibly good white paper that you may have heard of. 
um, it, to uh, a de-squeeze two times and magnify. If the de-squeeze two times setting makes image too small for you, and obviously it would give you a lot of black top and bottom um, right. frame, this uh, will will expand it anamorphically, but then blow it up a bit. So you'll lose a bit left and right, but you'll have less black top and bottom. So think about it for a second. If I shot and I de-squeezed uh, out and uh, I huge, produced huge letterboxing, yep. um, well, okay. I may want to blow that up a bit because, let's face it, uh, you know, the anamorphic thing may be done not just for the anamorphicness, but the view that that gets you with the lenses. Uh, and that would then give you a much sort of more, I don't know, user-friendly... Um, right. Yeah, okay. instead of a, a sort of a strict um, one, which is going to give you a strict 2, 3, 9 to 1. Right. Well, I'm sure Ari has thought about it, and they've done some experimenting before they've launched this. You can go to your contact service at ari.de to um, purchase it, or I'm sure you can go to Abel Cine and talk to Mitch, and he can uh, um, uh, sort you out. Um, but, uh, you know, Ari is doing a lot of software updates. Every month or so, there's new software updates. You play back from the camera sound. All the issues that there's sort of that Alexa launched with has seems to have been knocked on the head, and now this is one less thing giving the anamorphic option, um, which Red, as obviously Epic, does have, but it doesn't have playback. So everyone has sort of issues, and they've still rolled out as, as almost like in-field beaters, but um, everyone's gradually... Hitting all their well, issues on, on that, the head. On that score, we were discussing the problem with not having an on-camera recording that was compressed yeah. for the Epic. And let's face it, playback from camera. Um, the Samurai is going to announce, or has announced, they're going to ship at IBC. Do you think the, the Samurai with an HD-SDI input, 1920x1080, from the yeah. Epic gives me what I want? I mean, yeah, it's a, I think so. I mean... The part of the issue with some of these onboard stuff has been, and and when you listen to Tom, you know, his half his issue with having the onboard Keeper Mini thing is just extra cables, batteries, points of failure, big bulky. They're moving fast. They've got a hectic schedule. You know, lugging an extra heavy thing around, and and you know, all that sort of stuff is really was the, the essentially what. You know, it wasn't a image quality decision. It ended up being a, you know, a practical one. So if you look at the um, Samurai, so for those who are familiar with the uh, Ninja from Atomos, which is an HDMI-based thing, this is SDI and goes to records uh, to uh, ProRes, right, Mike? Yes. And, to, and it's a bit to, more expensive than the Ninja. The Ninja was like around a grand. This is around 1500 Yeah, it's still quite small. It's quite portable. still has that sort of same sort of dockable, put your SSD inside it kind of system. But it can be powered from onboard little batteries uh, on the back. I'm yet to find out what format of batteries it takes. There's, there's a little bit less information. It's uh, coming soon, early September, which maybe might, might mean early September. Who knows? Um, but it can play out. Uh, full res, uh, 1920, out of the SDI, um, decoding, coming back off the media. So that's um, obviously a very small, compact the only problem I have potential with it, solution. I, I think it's brilliant. I really do. The only problem I have with it is, like tonight, we're going to be shooting 300 frames a second with a chick throwing around yeah. firing balls on chains. Yes. And what I'd want to do is play back, back the 300 to 300. judge whether I had the right slow-mo. And, yeah. of course, as it's getting a feed from the HDSDI, it's only going to be getting that feed with real time. Yeah. So yeah. you can't effectively play back the R3D slow-mo. slow-mo. It's slow-mo, which is exactly what I want. It may well have a slow-mo option, but obviously it's going to be stepped frame-by-frame frame sort of pl- estimation of what I mean? what like, 300 frames. Like that's, like, that's like a three-and-a-half-stop cost 
going yeah. to the 300 frames. Yeah. But like a second is, what, 12 seconds? Yeah. So let's say you have the flaming ball moving past this actress's face and I want to see, well, what was it look like at that actual little instant? Because I only want a two-second clip or a second or two-second clip is going to be yeah. a quarter or a third of a second of real time. So I can't really judge that very well. But I want to play that back in slow-mo and that's the only thing that I don't get out of this yeah. which would be awesome to get because if you obviously if you're just wanting to generate ProRes rushes quickly for your editor and not have to have to deal with R3Ds uh, if, the ca- if the Epic played back you could at least play back your selected 300 frames per second takes in real in real screen time and capture the selected takes, takes to ProRes. Yeah, yes. So you're really only almost giving the editor selected selected takes and selected ta- selected sections of a really long uh, slow mo uh, shot. Yeah, there's no, there's no two ways around it. We really need the Epic to have playback in camera. Yeah, but this is definitely an interesting, good solution. So, uh, Atomos, uh, com. Talking of, if I can jump, Mike, talking of really long slow-mo uh, shots that uh, you might want to trim down, the Phantom, uh, yet again, are trying to top themselves and everybody else by, um, top them in a good way, uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, launching the V1610 camera. Now, this is actually, apart from the fact that it's slightly lower res than some of their other cameras, the frame rate is uh, going through the roof, uh, even for Phantom, even by Phantom stakes. 1280 by 800, so obviously they've always had slightly unusual chip sizes, but no doubt we can, obviously from here you can extract 720p, right? Yes, that's 1280, yeah. That's, yeah, 1280 by 720. So 1280 at 1280 by 800, this camera is capable of 18,100 frames a second in 4.2 second bursts. So um, that is, I'm not quite sure what that'll end up being, Mike, you're the maths head, but 18,000 frames, uh, if you shoot at 18,000 frames for 4.19 seconds. Yeah, a lot, hundred minutes or something, yes. an hour or something. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Okay, twelve. A second yeah. is twelve minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, one burst becomes a twelve-minute clip. Uh, clip. Which no, is no, not one burst. One. One four second point, of one burst. One second of one burst. So it's yeah. four times twelve. So I was kind of getting close to my one hour or something nuts. That can't be right. Here is on it? here on Maths Week. Um, <laughs> that is uh, anyway. Yeah, anyway. like 18,000 <laughs> frames a second, and you play back second. at 24 frames a second. I, it's, yeah, uh, in 720p, that's pretty impressive, because literally, you know, most of the time we've been stuck, not stuck with, but a lot of the Phantom stuff's been, you know, doing 1920 uh, or so at, uh, you've been pegging out at one or 2,000 frames a second. So this is like 10, almost 10 times the normal speed of a Phantom uh, at 720p, which is perfectly acceptable for a lot of work, as we've talked about, you know, freaking still stuck in power land here. Um, what it will do, which is completely unusable, yet still fun to even talk about, it'll do a million frames a second at 128 by 16 pixels. Now, obviously, that's, you know, maybe if you're doing motion analysis or something, that well, might, well, that, that kind of resolution. That, no, but you use that for, like, if a flash goes off. You look yeah. at the decay of the flash. Yeah. But, and that's where you use that kind of stuff. So the maths on that, luckily someone's already done that for me. One second of action will get you 9.25 hours of rushes at 30 frames playback. 
Yeah, but, but yeah, but at that resolution, you're using it to check how a light bulb exactly you try, exactly look oh, how yeah. the how a razor cuts off a, a, a you know, electric razor cuts a whisker blade off or something like that. But still, it's still <laughs> it's it's still fun to say a million frames I a think second. It's, yeah, it's probably more about how it's explosive. Actually, I've got to tell you something. Actually, no. four time if it's if it's if it let you do a four second burst, then that's actually going to be four four point two times nine point two five hours of rushes if you fill up the whole buffer. Now, now I, I just have something really to add to that, which is in relationship to that, because yep. the uh, Vision Research guys, in cooperation with the uh, AX Pro group at uh, the Colorado School of Mines, uh, if, you, mm. if you just really apply Colorado, now, sorry, the Colorado School of Mines. Mines, yes, you can actually get in on the high-speed imaging and explosives course. Uh, that's being offered. Yes, the short course is structured to cover the main areas of explosive engineering and how to use high-speed imaging when conducting such things for military and civilian applications. Uh, for a mere $2,150, or I think 2500 in person if you turn up on the day, you can blow shit up legally with high-speed cameras in Colorado. Yes, now, yes, <laughs> located in the Rocky Mountains of the Golden <laughs> Hills and established in 1874. Really, I'm not making this stuff this up. This is a really niche course. <laughs> you can, if you are uh, a mining expert that likes shooting at high speed, uh, have five <laughs> days of blowing serious shit up and filming it. That is um, freaking niche. Now, I should, I should point out that there is a cancellation fee of $150 if you book this and then cancel sure, out. of course, but if you get blown up before yeah, you actually if you, if you get die, there, yes. yes. But, and but you, you have to make your own is... travel arrangements and your own lodging. But that being said, uh, you, have, you are responsible for your own getting on the plane after they put you through the <laughs> explosive scanner. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am covered in C4, yes, but I'm no... showered in cordite for the entire uh, week. It, it now, how long is the course? Five days. Awesome. Yes, that's true. For five days, you I can have some major crazy. range activity. And not only that, we're going to be looking at, at shockwave physics and uh, a full range of explosives. Yeah, you don't want to be the guy that gets pulled over, or you want to get, go to the queue that has the sniffer. Uh, the sniffer me, machine. So I was just wondering if I could uh, run some uh, swabs over you for our. Expo- uh, 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 here's, uh, 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 here's the thing. Yes. Now here's the thing. There's the thing. Yeah. Yes. I can think of zero application where this would. I could I use this. Say zero reasons to not do no, this course. Uh, no, no. I can think of zero reasons where this. Anything I would learn on that course would actually generate uh, result in me making more, you know, I mean, more just, money or whatever. Seriously, just, but if I, you and I in America, we would be signing I up for this. Seriously, want to go on this thing? <laughs> I mean, I would be there in a split second if I didn't have to fly just, over. I, apart from anything, I'm actually in, I'm just amazed that there is a what is it? The Colorado the School in, of Mines. School of Mines. Yeah, no, I think that's great, and I just think that it's so awesome that it's actually not just an explosives course, but an explosive and high speed imaging course. Now, I thought I thought you'd originally said School of Mime, which I thought Mime was actually pretty freaking boring at normal speed. High-speed Mime artist. No, this is... That's going to be fat. This is an ex- experimental course. explosives. It's not even just normal explosives. It's experimental explosives. It's like I've That's just right. developed a new form of lethalness. Now, I think and, and, they're and, trying to... Actually, well, they're trying to fund their own high-speed photography of... Of, of explosives they've invented. Oh, the, this the is just funding their this, own showreel. <laughs> the best thing about this is if you go to the website, the PR photo for this, like you might think it's going to be like some shitty little, like uh, little tiny, notes. you know, bomb that you'd set off, like you know, that would. They, they're showing what looks like half a mountain <laughs> going. Like, okay, this morning we're getting rid of Idaho. <laughs> 
This morning we're going to dislodge something the size of Annapurna 1. <laughs> you know, that earthquake that you heard in New York, that was them in pre-production. <laughs> like, they just leveled That's... several mountains in the Midwest. <laughs> Actually, I, I lied. It was a four-day in- intensive that course. That was a little bit of an oops. Yeah, that, not a five-day course. So please don't hold me. No, sorry, four-day. Still, that's pretty good for yeah. that amount of money. Yeah, if you happen to own a large mountain um, that you want to level. I think we need to contact these people just because we really would love some of their rushes. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I just want to see it. Yeah, I can't no, really. be there. I'm sorry I can't be there for the course. There may be some issues about this <laughs> being open to foreigners outside the USA. That has not Can been I stipulated in there. footage of bomb, your newly, um, your, your secret uh, as yet unreleased bomb technology? Yeah, I've got a feeling that even the email asking for that might have sent up some red flags, Jason. <laughs> Mr. Mangrove, yes, uh, I'm from the... <laughs> Homeland Security. We have that here. <laughs> oh, yes, you just imagine on the just, first day. We just we just so, brought it. We just yeah. brought it in. Here are your protective goggles. Here is your protective motorbike to get out of here. Here's your here's your box. Yeah, we will be um, yes using uh, very very long lenses today. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, that could be I, that honest, is very honestly, cool. If anybody research. listening is actually. Just seriously thinking of going to this course, can you please let us know? Uh, honestly, anyone from Vision Research, we if love you. If you're from Vision Research, we would love. Just we'll fly. If you give us the ticket to the thing, we'll we'll happily. <laughs> uh, one of us will fly there. If you give us the ticket to the to the to the event, I guarantee it. Mike is emailing them now. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought. I just thought. I should. I just want to send them an email going. Excuse me. Do you do you have do you have press passes for this? <laughs> I was just wondering if you had any kind of press program. <laughs> That's right. Any media affiliation? Oh, we can, I'm sorry. Uh, have you got? Yeah. We, um, just stand need... there with a laminate and a hard hat and a access all areas except for <laughs> <laughs> access all areas except for, except for the, the mountain that was there. Except for within two kilometres of anyway, uh, probably enough. Anyway. There's some other really cool stuff we need to flag. Um, I'm going to change gear by yes. talking about some more gear. Um, look, we, we're on to this in, and we're going to be trying to use one for testing, but yep. there has um, been a release of an available soon uh, optical anti-aliasing the piece filter. of gear that you shouldn't need to have to have. Okay, but it's basically a filter that through optics will correct for the aliasing artifacts that you get from the line uh, stuff that happens in a 5D. So you literally put a different filter in front of the sensor but behind the lens and this causes the moray patterns and anti-aliasing problems to go away. It's quite an impressive piece of engineering. They've actually managed to engineer this little optics block that fits inside a 5D without having to remove anything, doesn't foul lenses, doesn't foul mirrors. Maybe you have to go mirror up to get it in there, I'm not sure. But still, apparently you can just fit this thing uh, very quickly, and it's uh, 385 bucks. It basically optically corrects the aliasing. or It doesn't optically correct the aliasing. It... it I guess it corrects the Moiré, the artifacts. It's okay. fixing. Yeah. It's fixing the. Um, it will change. It will change the symptoms, not yeah, the cure. It will change the optics on your lens in the sense of focus. Right. But if you're autofocusing, that doesn't matter. And, okay. And so infinity is insured. Right. So you so will be able to focus. Shifting infinity. your focus range, then, basically, by the sound of it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, obviously, this is one of the many things we want to find out when we have a play with this thing. Again, it's it's the uh, solution for the problem we didn't want to have in the first place, but. Uh, it's still nonetheless impressive that someone's uh, looked at it. 
from a non-post-production point of view and actually sort of fix it before. And obviously, you're not, we wouldn't use this all the time. If you've got a particular issue where you think, you know, that, that we've talked about before, a uh, pattern in the carpet or something, someone's shirt that you don't have a replacement for is buzzing and you want to sort of fix it, you pop this in. But it's good to have it in the kit so that you don't have to tell the agency or your director that you can't shoot this shot so for them. There would be two things I'd say on that. Firstly, it isn't a post-process, so you would need to know that that was going to happen. And a lot of people don't pick up on the more pattern from the back of the camera so that's an true issue. second yep. thing i'd say is that um, you probably wouldn't use it on wide angle lenses because over about a 24 so when you get out to like really wide lenses on the canon you're going to get some off-axis resolution um, loss because it you, it's you know nothing's free in this world but having yeah. said that, if you were shooting an interview with someone with a line... Like, imagine you turned up to yeah, shoot... Yeah, you can't say, have you got another shirt? Please. Yeah, like you've got some five Excuse days me, Mr. and Muren. Barack Obama's going to come in and sit yeah. down for the interview. You're not going to say, look, sorry, Mr. President, but yeah. um, you know, don't like your shirt. I'm sure he has people telling him not to buy that particular shirt, but well, uh, uh, okay, uh, but uh, other people. Saying. You know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, get, yeah absolutely. Uh, you can't tell them to... You've taken you months to get this interview. You've got 20 minutes with them. You're you in set Turkey. Up your lit. Gaddafi they step in and you go, uh, it's like the guy in, in True Lies who's, uh, you know, the battery starts to run out on his <laughs> <laughs> on the ransom video. Uh, sorry, I need to change batteries. You what? I need to change your shirt. Anyway, so that's... Okay, so, uh, that's good. so we're going to try and do some again, more Again, links in show notes. We're on to it. Um, we want to play with it. Another one that I found during the week that I thought was awesome... I can't wait for them to release. I think I picked this up from somebody twittering it to me, so I apologise for whoever it was that twittered it. I don't remember that was. But anyway, it's launching in September. It's called the Rotor. Now, this is basically a GoPro... Um, this is insanely cleverly simple. This is so cool, yeah. Like, imagine that you... Well, talk about a propeller head. Imagine <laughs> you wanted to stick something on your helmet that would stick out uh, from where you were. So, like, you built effectively like a fishing rod that would sit out from your helmet and then dangle the GoPro out in so far in front of you that you could actually get a much better shot than if you just mounted it straight on your helmet. And then they took it one step further and said, well, what if that thing wasn't fixed relative to the camera but could swing? So if you tilted your head to the left, it would slowly pan from obviously if it was on your right side to your left side. If you tilted your head the other way, it would swing around to the other side. Literally like a rotor, it would, it would go around, but not so free that it would fly around at a rate of a million miles an hour. Yes. Badly imagine helicopter rotor blades attached to the top of your helmet. But with dampening. It clearly has some kind of damping, but the damping, as far as I can tell, if you look, if you look at those videos, again, links in the show notes, you can see at the other end of the rotor, obviously there is a counterweight Wait, of similar yeah. weight of, say, a GoPro, or I guess if you're going to put something yep. else on, which I'll come to in a minute, uh, then you obviously that is what's partly helping the damping, is that as you rotate, if you move your helmet around, move your head around quickly, Big stuff will not throw the camera around, but larger things like your bike going round a corner or your skis going round uh, a bend will uh, will uh, keep the camera in position. So quick stuff will make it uh, not 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 move. So anyway, a, a picture pays a thousand worlds. You have to have to go to and have a look at these links. Um, I thought it was being really clever. It's a fantastic I, couple, of, and you go, holy the, shit, that's impressive. In the skiing one, there's a shot. Uh, where you can clearly see the shadow of it. Yeah, so that's right. That's you, how I basically can, worked out what yeah, I was doing. By exactly. Looking at the shadow. There's plenty of shadows to sort of work out uh, how it's being done. And obviously the trick with the framing, which you'll see, is that you have to set up the camera so you either in, in camera or in post that you crop out 
the uh, you'd think it would be quite odd that you have to crop out the top of the helmet so that you don't see the rig but actually it, it doesn't really matter you want to tilt down anyway you want to see the bike the skis the ground under your feet the shadows you want to see all that sort of stuff and it uh, it is surprisingly effective uh, and a clever piece of kit oh, that, that I, I would just, actually elevate astounded. it to if, if the rotor company is selling these I want to buy one yeah so they are coming out I've spoken to the guy uh, it's obviously going to be reasonably cheap oh you've spoken to I have I've contacted the guy um are we getting one? Uh, uh, well, they're not released yet. I did kind of uh, hint at that, but nothing, nothing, nothing forthcoming. Uh, it, the, his links go through to a um, uh, a GoPro reseller, I guess, uh, in Italy. I think it's Evo EvoCamera.it. And uh, although there's no links on their page, it is coming. It is in production. Obviously, it probably won't be very uh, expensive, but uh, it'll be here in the next month or two. So. Uh, anyway, look at the links, and we'll sort of. I love that. We will follow stuff. along with that one, and uh, I definitely have to have one of those. It's very cool. Now, to strap onto it, Mike, I'm going to jump to something which I think is equally cool, and I'm desperately going to. I'm going to find one of these and 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 and, and grab it. Is um, we've sort of talked about before the contour camera, um, the contour cameras, which is essentially like competitor to GoPro, and they're very much you know waterproof, uh, shockproof kind of sport point of view cameras. But um, there's a couple of well, a couple of new ones from, from Contour, and this one's the Contour Plus, and there is a GPS version of it, but they're pretty much the same camera. What is interesting with them is that obviously, apart from the fact, like the GoPro, they can do 1080p and they can do 60 frames a second at 720p, stuff like that. But apart from also the fact they actually have HDMI out, because if you ever tried to get a, a video out out of a GoPro, it's, and I literally have to do that in about an hour. Um, as part of another five cameras I'm rigging on on on, on, on set today, um, you have to do standard def, right? Um, or I think comp- um, I think maybe component, but um, this has mini HDMI out, which is just fantastic. But the main thing, which I think is really cool, is it has a it has Bluetooth built in, and with an Android app or with an iOS app. So I don't know about iPads, but certainly iPhones. There is apps in the if you search probably search for Contour or Contour Connect in the App Store, you're going to find um, the app for your iPhone where you can set settings, frame rates. Anybody who's tried to set anything on a GoPro just wants to stab themselves <laughs> in the in the throat with the nearest biro. It is so frustrating. If you imagine that you, but through Bluetooth, you can get you can get in, you can see the settings mapped out on your menu on your phone as easy as any of the settings in 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 your in your phone for your phone itself. Mic levels, um, you know, recording quality, resolution, frame rates. Um, you, you just want to get the output of this thing and. Stuck, stick it yeah. into your territory. Well, how nice is it to be able to put it, you know, if you're positioning something down on the ground, you know, to literally be holding your iPhone in your hand and position it. Or if you imagine if you're, it's great that GoPro has the None little it, backpack but, LCD thing, but, but imagine you it, you're trying your... to position it, imagine you're trying to position it on your helmet point of view, you're not, or, you know, or it's pointing at you, right? If you're a solo player and you're, you're trying to rig it on your hang glider, you can actually be standing, go and stand in your own shot and see how you look, or is it collect, is it positioned correctly on my kayak or whatever how awesome to be able to basically have live view on your iphone so freaking awesome contour.com 4.99 us gotta get one bloody fantastic but, but i was just gonna say before, it's not just that but because you've got the hdsdi out you can run it into your teradec right hdmi out hdmi out sorry you yes. can run it into your teradec so you can actually this is true transmit back because i don't find bluetooth quite as useful on ski runs as 
as I would the tarot deck. To be able to have the live view yeah. and then beam it. <laughs> but well, I mean, I, I mean, Bluetooth hasn't got much of a hasn't got much, much of, of a, a range. much of a range. But uh, you know, it's still bloody awful. I think it's fantastic to be able to at least you know you can have it in the car. You could be doing rally stuff or whatever, and see you know actually see what you're doing and have that less of that set and forget kind of thing. I just think it's particularly it's the silly thing with the Is the, the LCD as waterproof is the. Oh, I think right? they, I think they are. What's also very interesting, if you go to go, go just <laughs> because hey, it's a short show. I'll just keep on talking. The uh, they have a GPS version, which is really cool, and it has like a sort of a mapping apps where you can, uh, if you're skiing down a mountain or whatever you've done, sort of trail biking, it um, it will um, uh, map your uh, you know your route with altitude and everything. Uh, so that's quite interesting. I'm I'm got They have to be waterproof aren't they no maybe they have a housing they have housings much as the same as a gopro is not waterproof unless you put it in its own little little housing so uh, yeah the jeep the contour uh, gps and the contour plus um very cool video mapping uh, the gps looks really awesome uh and then there's also the contour hd but i think that might be the earlier sort of cheaper version anyway go check it out again show notes um uh what else we got i think i think that's it mike i think it is uh i think we've thank christ they scream at their ipods and cast oh come on not not our fans not um, our listeners great no, people that they, they are never say the anything negative that I, no absolutely we love them hey the next thing i was going to say is just to finish up we want to um do uh a twitter shout out and so I wanted to do a Twitter shout out actually to uh, ZGC, which is the sort of mother company of uh, Cook Lenses, um, which is on Twitter. So it's uh-huh. on Twitter as ZGC Film Digital. Cool. So uh, if you ZGC Film Digital, one word, and uh, they basically obviously, um, well, they're the distributor for Cook and for PS Technica. Right. Um, but yeah, follow them. Uh, they're really good. They're, they've only just appeared on Twitter, so they have hardly any followers. They oh, have cool. like thirty-four. So I want to see if we can, you know, up thirty-five that number, now, up that number in the next uh, little while. But Excellent. Um, yeah. So let's see what happens. Okay, and my uh, blog shout out is going to be dslrnewsshooter.com. Probably a lot of guys you probably follow this anyway, but dslrnewsshooter.com. Um, it's um, a part, um, one of the many contributors is a good friend Dan Chung, um, but I think they have a few other people contributing too. But uh, you know, it's uh, people are out there in the field. Again, obviously, it's more of a DSLR based based link. But you know, it's not just news, but it's rigs, it's interviews with people who are out there shooting in, be it news gatherers, war 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 zone stuff. Uh, there's a bit of stuff on FS100. There's, you know, so it's it's definitely a worthwhile uh, link to go hunt out and sort of uh, subscribe to. In fact, geez, I haven't been here for a while. There is a ton of stuff here. Um, okay, Jace, um, I'm going to talk you. about my job that we're shooting tonight next oh, week yeah. because cool. we've run out of time. Because you think it's a short show, but we've been going for a hell of a long time. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you guys. Uh, we're going to try and come out every two weeks. We're, but the trouble is with this show in particular is that uh, obviously Jace and I. Are shooting and working and yes, you have to apologies. fit in with schedules so uh but yes and please check out the other stuff uh over at fx guide and um thank you so much jason for being with us thanks mate uh obviously jason's handle on twitter as you guys probably know is wingrove and mine is mike seymour but you'll yep. find us over at fxguide.com thanks so much for being with us talk to you guys next week see yeah. ya
Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.